Hello, I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The, the Nonprofit, Nonprofit Reframe. Together, Nia and I have over 30 years of nonprofit experience. We've worked the program side, the business side, and everything in between. We are reframing the nonprofit experience by challenging the status quo because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Reframe. Happy Monday, folks. We are recording this on August 24th, which means it's being released on the last day of August. Tomorrow we will be September somehow. Oh, that's crazy. It, it blows my freaking mind. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, how, how have we even survived these last couple of months, let alone have them fly by? <laughs> We're in school. School has started. Oh, please, please tell us a wise one um, how that's going virtually. It, it's an absolute shit show. Um, it sucks all around. I'm sure the teachers hate their lives. The kids definitely hate their lives. And I know firsthand that the parents hate their lives. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, you know, everybody's doing the best they can, but, and this is only week two, but week two it first monday really of school yes that's true that's true that's why today feels especially hard i'm sure that's true (laughs) um i'm just gonna go ahead and apologize that um you might hear my dog in the background i I feel like it's just gonna be a thing yeah our listeners should know at this point we are just thrilled that we're even getting an episode out every week um because we're in the middle of a pandemic and it's absolute chaos 24-7. 24-7. I spent the first two hours of my morning trying to get my kids' school-issued iPad to actually open the application where she is supposed to go into class every day. <laughs> um, and so it's a small miracle that we're even here. And um, yeah, I can't deal with my dog. Yep. It's just... We're going to have to deal with it. Well, today is my husband's one day off from work. And so about 15 minutes before we started recording, he decided to mow the lawn. So I have created a pillow fort around the windows in my office so that we can continue to record while he's mowing. Oh my gosh, that's hysterical. This whole episode might be a total shit show. Who knows? Well, this episode might be a name that noise in the background. Like, what noises do you hear? (laughs) That had a real, like, uh, Dora the Explorer kind of feel to it. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Well, how was your weekend? I, again, like, it's hard to even remember. I woke up this morning and my brain told me it was Saturday. Like, I thought today was the weekend, which means the weekend probably didn't feel like a weekend. And that is such a letdown when you realize what day it actually is. Yeah. 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 I hate that. I hate that feeling. I've done that before. Yeah. So, you know, it was all right. Got a bunch of stuff done, which is always good. Prepped a ton of food for the week. So hopefully I didn't feel so behind trying to just like feed myself. As our listeners know, I have a tendency to really go for easy foods when there's nothing prepared, and I thought I might want to up my game this week. So, no Uncrustables this week. Is that what you're telling me? No. No, I will never commit to that. 
<laughs> That's really more of a lunch food, though I guarantee you've probably eaten them for dinner at some point. Oh, most certainly. And breakfast. Yeah. All of them. <laughs> it's the anytime food. I, again, like, I just feel like in the midst of all of the chaos we're experiencing, whatever you need to make life a little bit easier, you do it. And if that means you Amen. eat three Uncrustables a day, you do that. You do you. Amen. Well, you know, I mean, full disclosure, I ate two of them last week and then I texted you about it. <laughs> Which was the best text I've ever gotten in my life. <laughs> what a moment of confession and contrition at the same time. <laughs> yes, absolutely. How was your weekend? Oh, man. Um, it was okay. I have um, a couple friends, two sets of friends. Oh, good job. Couples. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I've managed to get two friends. Um, three if I count you. Oh, um, depends on the day. So two, yeah, exactly. Two sets of friends who are moving, believe it or not. Oh. I feel like it's really interesting. I mean, I could go off on this whole like existential discussion about what this time in our life is doing for people, but I do think at just in the very simplest form, it's uh, allowing people to get out of their routine of their life and recognize, wait, I mean, we we could do other things. Mm, We don't have mm -hmm. to, this hamster wheel that we've been on, um, doesn't have to be the only way. And so I've had two different couples that are friends with us decide to move. Wow. And, you know, it's kind of one of those realizations of, well, if everybody's working from home, they now realize that they can really work from anywhere from yeah. home. Mm-hmm. So it's exciting and exciting for them, but bittersweet because um, I'm really going to miss them. And then it made me realize how much we take for granted of just you know, people in our lives and just things that we've accepted as being the way it is until it's not that way anymore. And then you're like, oh, these people lived five blocks away from me. Why wasn't I seeing them more often? Mm. And now they're moving, you know, all the way across the country. So I got to say some bittersweet goodbyes Mm. this weekend. Yeah. What a lovely little memorial, though, you've given them on the podcast now. I know. You know who you are. I don't even think they listen, but that's all right. That's all right. It's all about the thoughts it and is. the intention. So what are we talking about today? <laughs> I know. You seem really excited about this. You didn't want to go over it before we hit record. You told me it'd be better if it was a surprise to get my reactions. So now I am... Thoroughly nervous. Well, you know we're going to talk about boards. I didn't know that yet. Yeah, we talked about that much. But, you know, Brittany was having a shit day. The last week's been a bit nutty for her. And so I thought I'd be a good friend and figure this episode out solo. And put her on the spot. (laughs) Oh, great. (laughs) So um, I do this. And you know know boards are one of my favorite topics. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do this training um, in the community for folks who want to join their first board or are kind of new to board service. Um, and I've had the opportunity to do it actually like two or three times in the last few months. Um, and it's it's really great because you get these folks, most of whom are totally outside the sector. 
they've just kind of been mulling over like, oh, I should join a board. What does that look like? Um, and so then they get to come to my training and I start off and give a nice overview of just the sector as a whole, um, do a little bit of myth busting for them and then drop dive into some board roles and responsibilities. So what I have done is I've pulled out all of the little quiz questions in my training that I thought I'd pose to you, Brittany, as a nonprofit veteran. Ooh, I love it. Um, some of them I think will be easy ones for you. But there are a few curveballs in there. Mm. And then I pulled out some of the questions that they regularly give to me. And I thought we could discuss those as well. So this is this is a great one for those who are uh, looking to join a board. Um, or I think even those in nonprofits to just kind of get a sense of what what's the perception outside of our sector. So you can help onboard your board members better. I mean, wouldn't it be lovely if every board member had to take your training before oh deciding gosh. whether to join? Right. Oh. I mean, I was just talking to um, an ED the other day, very small nonprofit, and their board is basically made up of people that just showed the slightest bit of interest mm. in their mission. <laughs> and then they said, do you want to join our board? And then I said, Okay. <laughs> Yeah, sounds about right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So now they have a 10-person board, but nobody really knows what it means to be a board member. And, you know, surprisingly enough, they're having some issues with it. Yeah. Well, I also, I, I love the questions that come up in these trainings because so many of them are the really common myths that we try to dispel on this podcast. But of course, yeah. most people who are looking to join a board aren't listening to this podcast. So this might be a great one to share with potential new board members as well. Who knows? We'll see where the yeah. conversation takes us. <laughs> exactly. All right. You ready, Ms. Brittany? Whew. Let me stretch. Okay. Take a drink of water. Okay. Okay. Question one. This is a um, multiple choice. Which of these is not a nonprofit? A, the National Football League. B, the University of Colorado, C, your local church or faith community, or D, the Republican National Committee. Wow, these are good. <laughs> Which of them is I mean, not? I, I'm going to say the National Football League. Correct. With <laughs> a really funny caveat that is only true since 2015. No way. Yes. The National Football League had a 501c3 and they gave it up because of pressure, especially from Senator McCain, who was like, you should not be getting tax exemptions for what you're doing. You're making millions and millions of dollars. And so they voluntarily handed back their nonprofit status. Oh my gosh. That's so messed up. That's why people hate nonprofits or don't trust them. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh my God. Okay. But that's a great question that leads into just Phew. like the variety of nonprofits. You know, often we think of nonprofits as just those 501c3, kind of that gold standard of nonprofits. Right. But there's this huge, huge, huge range. I, I mean, just in the 501c section of the IRS, there are like 20 some different designations. So nonprofit is a pretty broad reaching General term. term. Yeah. 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 That's a great question. Oh, thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Maybe I'll come to your training. <laughs> that would be great. Could you just be a plant in the audience? 
Yes. And then I'll call on you when I need like somebody to second whatever I'm saying. I love it. <laughs> or maybe I'll just heckle you the whole time. Oh, rude. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next question. This is a myth or fact. Myth or fact. Nonprofits can't make a financial profit. Myth. I'm going to have to like add in some sort of sound effect of like, you got it right. (laughs) I know. Exactly. Like ding, ding, ding. (laughs) This is always a great question to lead into why nonprofits making a profit is actually not only beneficial, but important uh, because nonprofits need to have some sort of financial reserves, be able to weather, you know, the, the timing of income when revenue dips for certain types of revenue um, and just kind of have that broader plan for sustainability. And we know, obviously, that's a loaded term that means a lot of things. But if nonprofits can't make a profit, then they, they're they just going to be in this really tenuous position financially. Yeah. I mean, it's also a great way just to illustrate and uh, reaffirm that nonprofits are businesses. Yes. Bonus question. Do you know what nonprofit actually refers to, like that term? Oh. No. It means we can't distribute our profits. So in a for-profit where you have a board and they would get a a portion of the profits or um, you have shareholders, something like that, nonprofits means any profit has to be reinvested into the organization and into the mission. Love it. Yes. Uh, Bonus question. Do you know how to say nonprofit in French? (laughs) (laughs) Let me look up our text chain where we talked about it. Do you remember? I, I don't. No, I don't remember at all. But um, it wasn't flattering. <laughs> no. I mean, it's probably more along the lines of like NGO in French. Yeah. Is what they actually call it. Anyway. We'll save that for our, our all French episode that we're doing. Right. To. That one's coming up. Can't wait for, for that. <laughs> Mark your calendars. Oh, God. Why did my stomach just start hurting like I was in French finals in college again? (laughs) Now you know how I feel. I'm like, you know, what if I get one of these wrong? My reputation just goes down the drain instantly. Well, I'm quite certain you'll get this one right. A myth or fact, again, a well-run nonprofit should have low overhead costs. Myth. Well done. This, of course, just opens that door to talk about overhead, which we talk about a lot on the podcast. Um, I kind of give a little background on how this concept of overhead as a way to vet nonprofits came to be and why it doesn't actually work. A nonprofit that doesn't invest in overhead isn't necessarily doing work and vice versa. Exactly. Um, Okay, next one, myth or fact. Nonprofits can lobby and be involved in legislation. Ooh, that is fact. They can lobby for, they just can't lobby for a candidate. Spot on. Yep, you got it. So the Johnson Amendment is what prohibits nonprofits for endorsing or opposing specific candidates, but nonprofits absolutely can and should be involved in promoting or opposing legislation, advocating for the needs of their clients, their organization, their causal area, etc. Yeah, especially right now. Yes. 
Well done. See? Mm, Knocking it out of the park. (laughs) Um, Okay. Myth or fact, nonprofits get most of their money from private foundations. Well, I'm going to say that's a myth. Correct. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But this is another good one. So often, especially I think for startup organizations, their focus in fundraising is like, how do we get that foundation money? Like that, that's going to be what gets us where we need to be. Where in actuality, like 18% of annual revenue or of annual philanthropy comes from foundations. The vast majority is from individuals. Yeah. Well, and I think that ties back to a conversation we had. I can't remember. All the weeks are running together. But where I was in conversation with this nonprofit who gets no money from any kind of private foundations um, or the government or any grant funding, they they get 100% of their annual revenue from individual donors. and um, But they are part of a national affiliate, like a larger national affiliate. And so recognizing just what, I mean, the exact reason why you're putting this in your presentation to potential board members who are most likely coming from maybe the for-profit sector, that people don't know that. Yep. And so they don't realize just how important their gift is. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, myth or fact again? This is fun. <laughs> I, I thought you'd like it once we actually got going into it. Yeah. <laughs> um, the IRS has extensive requirements on boards, including the numbers who must the number of members who must serve, their specific duties, and reporting requirements. Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, those are usually written out in the bylaws. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm not really sure if the IRS is the one that oversees that. So, but I do know that, you know, Nonprofits of a certain size need to be audited every year. And so definitely have those requirements from the IRS. So read the question one more time. It's a trick question because it's neither fully a fact nor fully a myth. (laughs) Ooh, okay. So what the IRS says about boards is that you have to have three unrelated board members. Okay. That's about it. (laughs) They do have the filing requirements um, if you hit a certain revenue size, um, but they really don't stipulate much whatsoever about your board. Your local, um, not local, your state oversight organization, like here in Colorado, it's our Secretary of State, they might have some additional requirements. Like here in Colorado, your board is required to have a president, secretary, and treasurer, and those three positions must be held by somebody who's 18 or over. Okay. But again, not much comes down from those bodies. It's in your bylaws, much like you said. Yay! So you got it right. Yay! Man, that is a tricky question. I like it. Well, and it's one of those common things. People are like, well, we'll just do what the IRS says. And it's like, well, the IRS really doesn't tell you much. Right. Most of what we know in terms of how boards are structured is because of best practices and looking at what else is going on in the sector. We don't have a lot of regulation. Um, you know, the, the Colorado revised statutes goes on to talk about, um, your duties as a director. Um, but even then it's really vague, like the good faith 
um, clause. You have to be able to discharge your duties in good faith. Um, I think it's like with the care of an ordinarily prudent person and with the best interest of the nonprofit. That's it. An ordinarily prudent person. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Which I take to mean like you, you don't have to get a special certification, right? You don't, you right. don't need a lot of credentialing. You just have to be ordinarily prudent. Wow. All right. I love it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Last question. Okay. Every nonprofit should have an executive committee, finance committee, governance or nominating committee, and fundraising committee. Well, I feel like this is kind of a trick question, too. Because <laughs> you got me, girl. First of, first of all, you use the word should. Um, I mean, yes, ideally it would be great for those committees to exist, but not, it depends on where your organization is in its formation, how many board members you have, what um, your current, your current priorities are. So while I feel like that's something to, um, what do I want to say? Something to work towards. I don't know if it always makes sense for every board in their current state. Absolutely. I totally agree. Those are the ones that like we most commonly see, but I would always say like, look at your strategic plan, what committees are needed to ensure that moves forward. Um, Look at where maybe you need recruitment support. Um, So I was just working with an organization recently where the last two times it's come up for their treasurer to uh, be nominated. They've had nobody with real finance background. And I was like, oh, okay, not only do you have this immediate need, but you have a succession planning issue. Let's create a finance committee where you can start bringing people with finance expertise into the organization, prepping them to take on that role. Right, exactly. Um, Well, and I've been in a lot of, I've worked at a lot of nonprofits where we've had some of those committees, for example, I'm thinking fundraising committee, it's just not effective. Right. We're not at that place. Mm-hmm. And so we disband it for a year or two and then recreate it later with a new focus. Oh, exactly. So it ebbs and flows. Yeah. It's an evolution. I think program and fundraising committees, you have to have a very specific usage for them and then recruit people specifically towards those tasks to sit on it. Because otherwise you just turn your wheels and end up creating a lot of work for staff. Yeah, exactly. Well, Brittany gets a gold star. Well done on Woo-hoo! the quiz. I pass. You're I ready to join a board. <laughs> uh, so again, those were kind of broader, higher level nonprofit sector questions. Um, but here's some of the questions I get in trainings, you know, from attendees, which I thought would be helpful for us to look about. Look about. Look about. Let's look about them. We could look about them or we could talk about them. I don't know. <laughs> um... Do all board members need to make a donation? Ooh, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. Yes, they do. Yeah. For multiple reasons. Yeah, this was one, and it came up my last two trainings. Um, and I think part of the the concern here is what's actually underlying that is an assumption of a donation of a certain size. Yep. And... I want boards to be structured with true diversity, which also means socioeconomic diversity. Right. And so shifting from any kind of, you know, specific contribution threshold to more um, language around like personally significant gifts is going to allow more people to participate. 
But we also know if we're going to have board members involved in fundraising at any level, soliciting, acknowledging, stewarding, they have to have given a gift themselves. Amen. And, you know, I hold myself to that same standard. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm the VP of development and I still believe everywhere I work that I also have to be giving to the place. I mean, I work there every day, but I, I need to be giving and supporting the place that I'm working at if I'm going to ask others to do the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's my own personal philosophy, right? I don't uh, judge anybody else that feels differently, but I, I'm just, I feel very strongly that if I'm going to be in a position of trying to talk to somebody about what it means to be a donor of the organization, I need to be one myself. Oh, totally. I mean, even think about like the conversations you have with your partner or your family about like, why are we giving to this organization? You want to have had that discussion yourself before you're asking other people to do that. Yes. Another common question, give, get. Is it still a thing? Should it still be a thing? Well, again, I think that goes back to your board and where your board's at. And you would know more about this than I do, Nia, because you work specifically with boards on fundraising. And it's everybody gets so nervous when it comes to fundraising because they think it means they need to ask their best friends and total strangers for money. Mm -hmm. And we know that's simply not the case, and it's a lot more nuanced than that. I think that that's how the give get was created as a way to say, well, if you can't give that amount, then at least help us cultivate um, new donors or make relationships with, you know, businesses or help with sponsorship and that sort of thing. Um, and that should just be inherent in a board role. I mean, mm -hmm. outside of any give get agreement, like that's part of being a board member is creating those bridges with the community to the organization. So, I mean, I think it is still a thing at a lot of places, whether or not it's effective or not. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so for our listeners who aren't familiar with the term, a give get or is a common thing um, for boards, especially larger organizations where there's a specific dollar amount and you either have to give that amount or help get it, meaning fundraise to, to that amount. I, I don't promote it. I don't recommend yeah. it whatsoever. I feel like it just um, continues to uh, highlight inequities. So yeah. board member X can write the check for $5,000 and he's like, okay, I did my job. I'm done. Whereas sure. this other board member is now hoofing it, like working their ass off to try to help fundraise for that. Not only is that like an unfair workload thing, but donor who can write a check for $5,000 probably is networked with people who can also write that check for $5,000 much more so than somebody else. Absolutely. And I think it can go the other way too. I think that there, you know, $5,000 obviously is a, a gift of a certain socioeconomic bracket, but let's just even say that it's less than that. And Somebody can write a check for 500, but that's still a real stretch for them for the year. And then somebody else says, well, I'm going to get it, but they, they don't actively try to get it. And then how is that, how is that person really being held accountable? And that feels icky. And, yeah. you know, it's not always, those relationships are all, not always clear cut. Like, here's my friend. Joe and Joe's going to write this $500 check because I couldn't, it's not, it's not that cut and dry. Yeah. And so then you put 
your fundraising um, staff in a position of, well, I don't, I don't know. It just gets really murky. Yeah. And for all those reasons, I don't like it. Well, and I would much rather have a fundraising menu where folks, you know, kind of sign on to different tasks that they can, they want to do. You know, it, it's more and more common right now that folks, um, that boards are recruiting people onto their boards who have lived experience in their causal area. That mm-hmm. person maybe could be just a really fantastic ambassador. And we want to leverage that, right? So like looking at fundraising in terms of leveraging your skills, your networks, your abilities, and ensuring that everybody has a meaningful role so that they can also feel successful. And then we've talked about this before. Like there's nothing worse than feeling like you have this massive task ahead of you and you are ill-equipped to do it. So instead, break it down. Make sure that there's a way for everybody to engage that, that really feels like something they can do. And then we support them along the way. The, the big issue, I think, with Give Gets especially is when it's like, here's your goal. Good luck. <laughs> and the n- nonprofit just lets folks, right. you know, figure it out. That's when it's going to end up, like you said, being really murky, real icky feeling. Nobody wants that mess. No. And that's why you're going back to making a gift that's significantly, that's personally significant to you, I think is so nice mm-hmm. because... I mean, essentially what you're saying is that if you're going to be an ambassador of this organization and you're going to support it, um, when you look at your philanthropic giving, we would like this organization to be kind of at the top of that. And if that means the top is 50 bucks, then that's the top or 20 bucks, you know, whatever it is. Um, But people can make that decision for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where you get into... Uh, really icky waters is when you are coming up with a number and it's being dictated. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I I do a a separate training just for fundraising for board members. And that's one of the top things I say is that, you know, we, we ask board members to be involved in fundraising and then we don't support them. We don't train them. We don't involve them in decision-making around our fundraising plans. So they're not bought in and supported in actually doing the fundraising. Right. So totally agree with everything that you just said. And I feel like this is a time for like a real paradigm shift in board fundraising. Mm-hmm. You know, like let's find ways that people can meaningfully be involved, that supports the organization, that uh, builds more community around fundraising instead of just seeing our board members as folks to go out and make big asks. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. Another question I get a lot. How do you know if it's a good organization? Oh, my. <laughs> wow. Well, because they're they're saying, can you just go to Charity Navigator right? and see if they're gold, platinum, whatever sort of thing? <laughs> well, I think, you know, we've talked about this a lot. And we brought it up before a couple weeks ago about really trying to get to know the organization Mm-hmm. So making those personal relationships, um, I know not everybody has that time. Uh, and so sometimes that's where it's nice to have board members and, you know, I maybe don't have time to vet this organization, but I know Sarah and Sarah's on their board and I trust Sarah and I can talk to Sarah about it. Um, but I don't know if there's one clear cut answer to that. No, and there shouldn't be. 
Right. <laughs> First off, what a values judgment. Holy shit. Um, right. And there, there's no no way to say, like, this is an A-plus organization and this one is not. Um, what's most important is, yeah, getting to know them. Um, making sure it aligns with your values. Not just the work they do, but the way they go about their work. Um, and so I always recommend when non- when folks are looking at a nonprofit to potentially join a board, they should be interviewing the organization just as much as the organization is interviewing them, right? Like you yeah. want to make sure that it, it it's going to be a place where you can contribute. And yeah, maybe not everything's perfect, but can you have a voice in changing that? So yeah, saying a nonprofit is good, bad, or otherwise is, is really neither here nor there. Well, I know I worked for a nonprofit one time where we worked with youth and we worked closely with Planned Parenthood. We gave out prophylactics. We made them, you know, easily available for the youth that we worked with. And there was someone, um, and this goes for staff too. I think this was a person that came that was looking to be a staff member, but board member as well. If your values are not in line with that, if if you're coming from a place of saying, no, it's abstinence all the way and we shouldn't be doing that and that's um, enabling, you know, sexual proclivity, yada, yada, well, then it's probably not the organization to be involved in. Exactly. Yep. Spot on. And sometimes it's not as obvious, right? Mm -hmm. Because from the outside, they're saying, well, I care about kids. So, of course, you know, whereas... If it was something like Planned Parenthood, then they already have those preconceived notions or those, the information of what services are offered and they can make that judgment from the get-go. So that's why it really is important to learn about the organization and their program delivery to see, just like you said, Mm -hmm. if it lines up with your values. Yeah. And some organizations will have more extensive kind of vetting processes, which allow you as a candidate to really get to know them. Some don't. And so then... It's on you as that candidate to say, actually, I'd love to meet with the board president myself. I want to meet with staff and tour the facility and understand more about the programs. Um, Right? Like, again, you should be really understanding that organization to make sure that it aligns with your own values and understanding of the work and all of that before you get involved. Maybe join a committee first, right? So you can really see it from the inside out. Yeah. Lots of ways to to learn before just saying, yep, sign me up. (laughs) Okay. Last question for today. Obviously I have, um, pages and pages and pages of these, but (laughs) for this episode, um, how are nonprofits working on issues of diversity and equity? Ooh. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm just going to let that sit right there for a second. Uh, it's it's so hard because it feels like most nonprofits are really late to the show. Yeah. I don't know, though. I, I mean, yes, and <laughs> I feel like we're all late to the show. True. Totally. Yeah. Meaning, I don't think that it's specifically our sector. Yeah. Um, Because I am finding more and more business people that I work with who are saying, yeah, my business doesn't do anything. Yeah. And they're scrambling right now to try to pull something together. So, um, yeah, I don't, you know, my first inclination would be to ask them back, well, what's your business doing? 
<laughs> yeah. Well, I think this is where like that moral superiority that nonprofits have, it's got to be, you know, chopped down a few notches. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, we, we, I was just listening to a training last week and they were reiterating that like 92% of nonprofit boards are white still. Oh gosh. I know it's, it's really awful. So yeah, we have a lot of work to do. I feel like most of the nonprofits I'm interacting with, especially at the board level, they're still at that education piece, right? Like we have to get some common language around this because we can't get to a plan until we are talking the same way, using the same terms, understanding its relevance, which I, I actually agree with as long as the next step is action. Yeah. As long as we we're going to take that learning and implement it and do something, you know, if, if training is the final step, it, what a waste of time and money. Or the only step. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that everyone's eyes have been opened, uh, unfortunately, a lot later than they should have been. But um, I know that in my line of work and with my colleagues, there's a lot of conversations about it. Mm -hmm. And... You know, part of that, I think, comes from the top. I think there needs to be leadership involved. And, you know, we've said it so many times. It really needs to be, um, it needs to be, what do I, what's the word I'm trying to say? Integrated into all parts. I know, I wish you could see my hands. Uh, integrated into all parts of the work, right? Yeah. And that work includes staff meetings. That work includes public webinars that you're doing. That work includes board meetings. I mean, it's got to be at every level and in all parts. Yeah. And you, there needs to be leadership that's, that's yes, leading, but also kind of holding everybody accountable for that. Absolutely. And constantly bringing it back into the conversation. Yep. Yep. Well, and I think at the board level too, it's this constant checking in on the the cultural aspects of boards and board meetings that uphold white supremacy, patriarchy, right? Like those, those kind of systems that need to be dismantled because it, it, it happens in our boardrooms constantly. Um, and I can say as a younger woman who often finds myself in positions of leadership, the number of times that I have been cut down, set aside, talked over by especially older white men, I I couldn't even fit on my fingers. I can't imagine being a person of color walking into that space as well. So if we're not addressing these, like the the cultural things in our boardrooms that are built in these systems of oppression, we're going to continue to exclude people of color, women, young people, right? Like all these folks who we keep saying we want at the table but we are not willing to do the work to give them a voice. Right. And then once we actually gain some diversity on our boards, what are we doing to create an environment that wants, that uh, keeps them there? Right. wants them to stay. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Like it, I mean, we, it, it goes without, which, no, it doesn't go without saying, because if it went without saying, we wouldn't be having the conversation, <laughs> but it can't be just a box ticked. Yes. Right? So once you actually have 
recruited diversity onto your board, what are you doing to make them feel comfortable, heard, and creating a culture where they want to stay? Because mm-hmm. otherwise, they'll peace out. Yeah. Well, actually, a colleague of ours who works um, to try to get a lot of people of color onto nonprofit boards and also um, boards and commissions at the government level, she has story upon story upon story of people joining boards and then, like you said, peacing out because they they have no voice. They have no say. Right. And so if if you've got a plan to recruit diverse members of your board, you have to have a plan to retain them, which means you have yes. to have a board to – you have to have a plan to adjust your board culture and to reduce barriers to access and reduce barriers to being involved and to leadership and – so on. I mean, that that's a train in and of itself. <laughs> yes. Yep. Wow. Good one. So takeaways for folks who want to join boards. Think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Did we scare you enough? I mean, board members are can be so powerful and they really can be catalysts for organizations in a lot of different ways. Um, but... I can't tell you how many times I've either been on a board or, or talked to other organizations where it's like, yeah, we've got all these great people on our board, but they really just don't have the bandwidth for board service right now. So nothing gets done. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you can't be on a board and have a full-time job. It just means that it needs to be enough, like you need to want it enough to contribute enough that you make the time here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's sometimes what happens is that people, they join a board with a really great intention, but it's really because their work told them that they should join a board and then they get on it and it's just not a priority for them. Yeah. And nobody says it has to be your first priority, but it is a commitment when you join it. Totally. So honor the commitment. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, you know, we, we often will talk about um, what the board expectations are in terms of time. Okay. You're going to have to spend five to 10 me- hours a month in meetings, sitting on committees, et cetera. But think about what else you need to do. If this is your very first board, you should be doing trainings, right? Like you should be coming to my training to learn these things about the sector, about board structures, about governance, because it's a new world for most folks. And the fact that we don't value our sector enough to learn about it and think we can just jump in and be effective is ridiculous. You should also also plan to volunteer in other areas oh, exactly. of the organization. So, I mean, granted, being a board member itself is being a volunteer, but volunteer in the programs. Right. Because that's why we to, love it. Exactly. And then see the work firsthand. Yeah. And maybe even do that before you become a board member. Yeah. Too often we like rely on staff to give us that connection to mission and programs every month, which is great. I I totally enjoy getting a story at the beginning of the month that reiterates why we do this work, but... Right, that's a five-minute mission moment, and then you're supposed to capture the whole essence of the programming. Exactly. Go volunteer so you can experience it yourself. Yeah. I think those were some good tidbits. I know. I'm like, I got nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) But do it. Do it. I mean, I, I really want to encourage people to get involved with their local nonprofits if they have the heart and they have the bandwidth for it. So I don't want to scare people away too much, but 
recognizing some of the pitfalls when you're not committed to it from the get-go. Absolutely. Um, special shout out to Roscoe, who stayed relatively quiet through our recording. Well done. <laughs> he did. I don't know what happened, thankfully. Maybe he got my mental <laughs> note to pipe down. And to all of you out there, make sure you are following us on socials. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Nonprofit Reframe. Feel free to email us at any time, nonprofitreframe at gmail.com. And if you have the capacity, now is the time to really support your local nonprofits. Please give and give generously. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. We would like to thank our sponsors. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based nonprofit consulting firm focusing on fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com. And Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thank you so much.